Hello and welcome to the Media and Marketing Podcast. My name is John Reynolds, the host of the podcast. Uh, we're back. We've been away for a couple of weeks, but we're back revived and ready to go with another cracking podcast today. First up, I've got a housekeeping announcement. Uh, proud to say that we've got a sponsor for the podcast going forward, which is the public relations agency MWW, whose central London office I am now sat in, uh, which is great. So effectively means I'm getting paid for this so I can spend more time getting more varied guests on the podcast and curating them moving forward. So on the podcast today, up and coming, we have an interview with Francis Ingham, the Director General of the PR Industry Body, PRCA. Uh, He is talking all about Max Clifford, who died on Sunday, and the obituaries I read certainly painted uh, an unsympathetic portrait of the man. So it's worth a listen later on uh, to see what um, the Director General has to say about him. Uh, Later on, we've also got an interview with the new UK CEO of the uh, Media Agency Initiative. This is Richard Morris, who is the new broom there. Now, there's lots in the, in the interview. For instance, Amazon are one of their clients. So if you want to know what Amazon are up to next year and beyond, listen to that. He also talked about what's in his inbox, transparency, fake news, bots, and some of the challenges facing media exec, chief execs. Interestingly, uh, initiative is owned by Interpublic Group, one of the big advertising groups. And my next guest previously worked, worked there. I'm delighted to be joined by Mark Middlemass, the media exec who... Um, previously worked at um, UM, which was a sister agency of Initiative. So, Mark, uh, thanks a million for joining me today. For the, I guess a lot of listeners will probably know who you are, but just can you just tell us what you've been doing since um, your days at UM? Absolutely, yeah. Um, thanks, John. And um, I was 15 years at Universal McCann London and then branched out into IPG Media Brands for a few years. And I was ultimately, I left there as the new business and marketing director for the UK. Um, loved my time, but a new opportunity came up in the technology world. So I spent three and a half years at a business called Radium One yep. um, as their um, communications director across Europe. And they've since been taken over by a company called Rhythm One. So I departed there at the end of August. And since then, I've been working on a couple of projects to do with the business of sport, which um, I'm looking to launch a new uh, proposition early next year. Okay, I was going to say that. I think I'm friends with you on Facebook or Twitter, and I do often see photos of you with famous current and ex-rugby players. So I guess sport and rugby plays a big part of your uh, professional and uh, social life, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that you've got to do your research if you want to go into any new sort of market. And I, mm. I think the learning of 20-odd years in the media business, coupled with a new entry into the sports world is something that, you know, me and my partners are very, very excited about. And, you know, 2018 can't uh, come soon enough. Okay, so we're going to have a look at some of these news stories. Before I do that, it has been quite thin gruel at the moment. I don't know, it'd be good to get, gauge your opinion. Is this, obviously, we're in the run-up to Christmas now. In, in the media world, is it typically quiet? Are, are people not moving jobs? You're not getting many... Um, pictures of things so that everyone just wants to get through the Christmas period, I guess, today? Um, well, John, I think things have never been busier. So the <laughs> reason you see lots of haggard and sort of pale faces is not to do with the amount of uh, food and alcohol consumption, but uh, burning the candle at both okay. ends. You know, pitches are coming in thick and fast. Clients are more demanding. The yeah. work gets uh, more demanding. And um, you've also got to go and show your face at the various... Um, lunches, parties, client dinners and things like that. So, you know, it's a good time to be there, but you've got to have some serious energy. I stand corrected. Okay, uh, in front of me, I've got three national newspapers. I've got the the Times, the Sun and the Daily Mail, broadly speaking, of the same political hue. And they've got three headlines, which is basically trashing digital giants, Facebook, Google and Twitter, 
So these are yesterday's front pages, actually. So if we look at the Sun, its headline is Twitter is playground for pedos. Basically, it's done a, uh, an investigation and found a number of pedophiles were on Twitter um, boasting of their cravings for children. But because they had not committed any actual crime, Twitter was doing nothing about it. The Daily Mail headline said Facebook is ripping society apart. So they spoke to a former Facebook exec who uh, gave a speech in the US basically saying Facebook is controlling people's lives. He said his greatest fear was people being programmed by social media. And then the Times, which says prosecute web giants for abuse, uh, the Prime Minister urged. So if we look at the Times first, um, this is an influential committee, uh, the S Committee of Standards of Public Life, basically advising the PM that social media companies should be prosecuted like publishers, such as newspapers, if they fail to remove uh, abusive content. So at the moment, racist, extremist, child abuse content on Facebook, Google or Twitter does not receive the same sanctions as if it were published by a news organisation. So what's your take on this, Mark? Should it be responsible for the illegal content on, its, on, on their platforms? I think it should be. It makes more than enough money and hires enough clever people to stop this happening, and, and they all do. But I think the, the bigger question, back to you, John, is that aren't all media business today tech businesses? You know, you can't hide behind the fact that you're a tech business and, and use that as an excuse not to be regulated. And I think the bigger question for me is why aren't the regulators and the government, you know, across the world doing more to ensure a more level playing field for a world leading industry sector like advertising? That is a good point. I think there should be a level playing field. I think Facebook has always argued that it's not a that it's a tech company, not a media company, because it doesn't employ uh, journalists who write the news. Um, now, the problem with that argument, I guess, is that's quite a narrow view of what a, a media company is, because obviously media companies don't have to specifically employ journalists. They could actually uh, curate content, have third-party content. I think, moreover, it ignores the fact that most people, certainly those under 30, uh, see their Facebook newsfeed as uh, the front page of a newspaper. The same way, I don't know about you, but they go to news for Twitter and uh, Google News. Absolutely, and they, you know, they trade off advertising pounds and dollars. So, you know, look, Facebook, Twitter, Google are amazing businesses with some fantastically talented people, top to bottom. There's no doubt about that. But so are many other media and tech businesses who battle it out daily for the for the advertising pounds, and that's for me where the imbalance lies. You know, as Mark Ritson intimates, um, he intimated last week, 84% of all digital advertising going to two operators should set alarm bells ringing across the board. Okay. Well, one point we should make, I'm sure the listeners are fully aware of it, is that the, um, it's in the newspaper's interest to um, have a pop at all these um, uh, digital media companies. Obviously, it's well documented. Uh, print sales are fall, obviously, falling. Obviously, they've got digital offshoots. Um, but basically, as you say, the problem is that Facebook and Google are taking a lion's share of the advertising and they're fighting around for scraps. But, I mean, do you think, uh, obviously, these are such big companies, Facebook and Google, do you think readers are actually aware that the newspapers have got an agenda um, or do you feel, feel as though they're so big that they don't care, they want, they want to read about them or, or not? I mean, it's a bit like the Jeremy Corbyn syndrome last year, isn't it, before the election, when the right-wing press was hammering Jeremy Corbyn, obviously because they had an agenda. I, I guess that's... What's your take on that? I think every media or tech business has got an agenda, and um, as has been proven or uh, intimated in the last 12 to 18 months, and, you know, that's the, that's the new reality, if you like, is there are agendas all over the place, and, you know, whereas before it was, you know, a set number of news sources, now there are hundreds of them, and there are some big players who can potentially tweak their algorithm 
um, to deliver a, a certain opinion. So, you know, the, yeah. the, the consumer, the, the, the sort of, I, I guess, the battle is with the consumer and, and the responsibility is with these people and, and that's where regulation needs to come in. Okay, so let's just switch quickly at the Daily Mail story, Facebook ripping society apart. I don't quite get this. This is from a, an ex-Facebook employee. I don't think, I'm pretty sure they're not disgruntled, but, I mean, it's not Facebook's you know, problem that people are spending so long on Facebook. Is that There's got to be some sort of... Um, um, it's up to the individual how long, you know, they've got to exercise self-control, haven't they? I don't know. Absolutely right, John. And, you know, as I, I think of my little boy, Monty, who's four years old, as he's growing up with the pressures of screens and social media, you know, it's like anything. You've just got to get the right balance, you know, the right balance between the physical world and the digital world. And, um, you know, both sides can be absolutely fantastic in life enriching. So get the balance right and you won't have a problem. Okay. Um, switching tack, another story I wanted to get your opinion on is... Um, uh, sexual harassment, which is uh, these stories seem to be bubbling along. Those re- uh, revelations have been sporadic so far. There's a story today about the Martin Agency in the US, which has appointed a new uh, chief exec uh, two weeks after the departure of a former exec uh, amid a wave of sexual harassment allegations. Now, you've obviously someone who's held high profile roles in the media communications world. I just wanted to get your take on uh, when these revelations first came out, Havas and IPG. Both put out statements. Uh, Havas said it was rolling out a harassment training, and I think IPG uh, said it had a zero tolerance policy for sexual harassment. And some people sort of suggested that this was uh, sort of PR point scoring and didn't really need to make these um, public utterances. I don't know. Do you have an opinion on that, Mark? Or? Well, I think it's very positive that two of the largest holding groups um, put out very, you know, forward-thinking and um, proactive statements like this. Um, you know, it's, it's not to be tolerated at any level in any business. And for these guys to offer a leadership position yeah. um, is really important. I, you know, I was at IPG for 15 years and, um, you know, they and the employees were very, very proud of the position they held in this area, regularly winning awards for, um, you know, their leadership position in this area. So um, I think it's something that, you know, in this day and age is, is not something you can tolerate. And if the big businesses do it, then hopefully there'll be a trickle-down effect across the piece. And have you, did you ever experience it or first or second hand at all or not? Or? Um, not it, nothing like that, no. I, okay. I think it was the fact that I was within IPG. It was a very safe environment. It, but, sure. but importantly, we got the balance right. Yeah. It was fun as well. Okay. Um, now, uh, talk about media agencies. Um, mm-hmm. Lots to talk about that. I seem to be getting it from all sides at the moment. So, in the past month, there's a, a new media agency launched called Truth, which is part of a, I guess it's a small network called the Marketing Group. Um, and it's built on, um, like a lot of businesses nowadays, it's built on block t- blockchain technology uh, that promises advertisers 100% transparency. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's been a a call for this, haven't they? Obviously, clients has been an issue about how transparent media agencies is. What's your take on truth? And what, uh, there's obviously loads of other uh, good independent media agencies out there too, I guess. Yeah, and I, I mean, this is, listen, this is new technology coming in and disrupting a sector, just like in the city all those years ago. And the same is happening to media. Things are improving all the time. I'm a big believer in continuous improvement. And in a, you know, in a wonderful industry like this where it's so competitive, you will get new entrants, new entrants offering new things to clients. I think blockchain is a fantastic idea. I know the guys down at Truth, Mary and Adam, who have launched it, and it's fantastic. 
Um, but then you look at the other side with the likes of Blackwood 7 coming in and offering an AI solution, and they're no, uh, allegedly no longer in the market. So it's competitive out there. New developments are, be, are to be encouraged. And I think this is where the arguably the media independence, mm. um, the likes of the seven stars at a bigger scale, good stuff, Bountiful Cow, and um, my mates down at December 19. You know, these are guys who are setting the pace at the moment. They're they're changing things, they're disrupting, and they're fully, you know, transparent in the ways that I think sometimes the bigger agencies just aren't as um, quick to move. So, and, and that's what clients are crying out for. They're like um, smaller agencies who are perhaps more nimble and not uh, sort of wedded down by their old ways, do you think? Do you think yeah, that? I think that's a, that's, a clear, that's a clear trend. If you look at the, um, the clean-up on the on the side of good stuff and the seven stars with regards to the media week awards this year, then, you know, it's clearly a trend, but listen, the big guys and having worked there, I know they do an absolutely tremendous job. Um, sometimes they move faster, sometimes they move slower, but the trend at the moment is certainly towards the independence and that is to be encouraged. Okay. Now I'm going to give you the reins for this last story because this was your suggestion. So this is a, a visa story. Um, so visa wants to, inc- it's about visa wanting to increase Brand awareness, is that right? Well, it, yeah, using sensory branding, I think it's it's a really interesting take on the future. And, um, you know, brands need to um, evolve their offerings and their, their brand um, awareness. And, um, you know, Visa have done a fantastic thing in terms of, um, you know, a bit similar to the Intel Sonic logo. Mm. They've decided that in the run-up to the Olympics, every time you use your contactless card, they will have a particular sound. Yeah. Um, I think the, the the newspaper I've got it from suggested it might be irritating to hear that sound all the time. Um, but I think these are to be applauded. And I think with the rise in, you know, the whole um, voice-activated assistance moving forward and, um, the, you know, the interfaces that the likes of Amazon Apple and Google are bringing in, then if you're a brand who isn't paying attention to that, you're effectively mute. And that is a big danger for you as a brand moving forward, as I, I heard at a recent conference from the, the guys at Global and uh, Global Media and Entertainment. Okay. So an interesting development to look forward to and, and brands need to be on their um, on their toes. So when's, is, this, is it in the market now or is, is it coming shortly? And I, I, I can see that. It's, it's not a gimmick then, but I can see how it can... For older people, maybe it'd be quite confusing and annoying, but I mean, it's one of those things that maybe takes a bit of time to bed in and people get used to the, the new idea, I guess. And exactly right. And I think that, you know, marketing chief Lynn Biggers, I think she's done a fantastic job here. It's, it, it, it's, it gives them a couple of years before the Olympics in Japan to, um, to get stuck in. And, and then they say they're going to be launching it, sorry, in January at the okay. Winter Games in South Korea. So yeah. it's imminent. But it, as with all new ideas, John, you know it takes time to bed in. Okay, fantastic. Thanks a million for that. Great to have you on the podcast. So what are you, just before you go, what are you, you, you up to now? You, we've got a few things, I guess, going on, haven't you? Is there any your Christmas parties coming up and things like that? Are you... Um, just looking forward to next year then, Mark? Um, plenty of Christmas parties and uh, lunches, of course. But, um, you know, 2018 is going to be fantastic. And, uh, you know, we look forward to it with um, great excitement. Okay. So stay tuned to the podcast sponsored by MWW because next up we've got the interview with Francis Ingham. Uh, and it's worth a listen uh, to get the inside track on what the PR industry really thinks about uh, Max Clifford. Oh, is that Francis? Hi, it's John Reynolds, the journalist from the... Hi there, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Is, is now a good time? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so thanks for joining me on the Media and Marketing Podcast. Much of the, the coverage I've read about Max Clifford um, refers to him as a, a publicist and not a, a PR yeah. man. So, I mean, that I guess that distinction's important to you. Can you just explain to the listeners what the difference is? Um, well, 
would say the PRCA that um, PR practitioners uh, adhere to uh, ethical codes of conduct and uh, are held accountable to those and deal in corporate reputation. And the publicists, on the other hand, uh, generally are not regulated, don't sign up to codes of conduct. And their main aim isn't to uh, engage in corporate reputation management, it's just to get publicity. Uh, now, just getting publicity mm. uh, for its own sake means that often they quite simply, well, um, lie. Uh, and that's something that's against our code of conduct. We make a very clear distinction between the two. And if you look at Max Clifford's career, yeah. um, whether it's David Miller or Freddie Starr ate my hamster or whatever, um, lots of his most high-profile uh, pieces of work were simply based on complete lies. Yeah, okay. So uh, he was obviously given a, an eight-year uh, sentence for sex offences in 2014. Do you think his trial and conviction damaged the perception of the public relations industry in any way? I mean, he's, he's, to a lot of people, he's synonymous with the industry, if you like it or not, isn't he, I guess? Um, I think one of the frustrations for the PLCA has always been uh, that he's been, he had been described as a PR practitioner mm. when we would say that he wasn't. He was never a member of our body or any other professional body either. And we've been making that point for 20-odd years. Um, so we couldn't, you know, we can't obviously control how other people described Mr. Clifford, but we always tried our very best to make it clear he wasn't part of the PR industry. Okay. And we've been doing that, like I say, for two decades. Okay, but I mean, uh, he, he did have some success, didn't he? I mean, he, well, I mean, he had a lot of high-profile clients. I don't know if to believe all this or not, but he had clients such as yeah. Marlon Brando, Marvin Gaye, Muhammad Ali, and he did represent yeah. the victims of the... Um, of uh, uh, against Gary Glitter and Jonathan King. So, I mean, he did do some good work, didn't he, or, or not? Yeah, I, I would not for one moment say that Max Clifford did nothing that was good. I would say that overwhelmingly his work was exceptionally unethical, however, with mm. the odd exception, um, and that uh, he, he represented something that I hope our country has turned its back on, really. I mean, he, we talk at the moment about fake news a great yeah. deal. He was the master of fake news for a good few decades. Okay, he had some high-profile clients, but from what I understand, often uh, his clients uh, retained him because they were more concerned about what he'd do if, um, if they didn't retain him. Okay, and just, just, just on that fake news point, is that, I mean... Is, is that because he had contempt for, for your industry, contempt for journalists, or contempt for contempt for people uh, generally, or or is it more that he was a master manipulator? Because obviously, um... I think it's a bit. Of, I think it's a bit of both, really. I think okay. he, he was a master manipulator. Yeah, absolutely. And he had some very good contacts, uh, including journalism. Um, but I, I think he had contempt for my industry, for journalism, for the people he was working for. I mean, there was the. David Beckham example wasn't there uh, when uh, he uh, um, uh, that the woman who made claims against Beckham yeah. uh, and it's reported I read that uh, Clifford uh, said if Beckham had come to him here instead he would have turned it around the other way <laughs> which yeah. is a pretty obvious lack of concern about truth or ethics and a pretty obvious contempt for both his clients and the people he was selling his stories to. Okay, uh, that fantastic. And just, just finally, I guess he doesn't have a, there's not a Max Clifford equivalent today. I guess post Leveson, 
with super injunctions and tabloid newspapers not having as much power as they once were, people of his ilk uh, wouldn't be able to wield as much power now, would they? I am happy to say that he is the last of a now dead breed and we won't be seeing a replacement for him. Okay, right. Francis, thank you very much for joining me. That's fantastic. I really appreciate it. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Hello and welcome to the second part of the Media and Marketing Podcast sponsored by the Public Relations Agency, MWW. And I've got another great guest. I'm delighted to be joined by Richard Morris, who is the new UK Chief Exec of the Interpublic Group-owned Media Agency Initiative. Thanks for joining me today, Richard. I guess a lot of of people listening to this podcast will know who Initiative is and what it does. But for those who don't, can you just tell me what exactly Initiative does where it fits into the Interpublic Group, some of its clients, and also a potted history of your own career today. Thank you, John, and thank you for having me uh, on your podcast. It's, it's great to be part of it. So, Initiative is a media planning and activation agency, and it's part of IPG Media Brands, and therefore part of IPG Group as a whole. Um, our clients are varied in nature, but range from Amazon, and Philippe, Yep. to uh, more recent wins of Carlsberg and Lego. Yep. Our broad proposition, which hopefully I'll come on to be able to talk about in a bit more sure. detail, is, is how we help our clients' brands take the initiative in culture. Yep. So Mar- I have ended this year a very proud 22-year career at Dentsu Aegis, which yes. began in the broadcast function as an assistant yep. in the mid-90s. Um, took me into the direct response space. I set up the first DRTV unit um, that the agency had. Admittedly, yep. that was when it was very nascent. Okay. Um, I moved into planning. I ended up running the planning function there before going into general management roles as deputy managing director in 2012. Yep. Moved over to be managing director of Visium yep. before moving into group roles in EMEA, chief growth officer for Dentsu Aegis in Amir, and then Global Client President on Diageo, and also yeah. Global Client President on Burberry. Impressive CV. So when did you begin an initiative then? So I began on the 1st of September of this okay. year, so relatively recently. Um, it was uh, a hard decision to be leaving Dentsu Aegis, but yeah. I think it was the right time in my career. Okay, so I did a bit, I made a few calls before interviewing, just gauging the temperature of an initiative at the moment in the UK and asking the people, you know, how it's doing. Uh, one senior executive came back to me and said, initiative in the UK, well, they are just bumbling along. They're not known for great creative, not known for great strategic work, not known for uh, media planning and buy-in. Does that reaction surprise you? I think... It's a bit harsh, yep. but um, I think what happened with Initiative in 2015 had a long-standing relationship with Tesco, and sadly yep. that came to an end. And I think after that period, the agency hunkered down, focused very much on its clients, focused on doing great work, but from a market perspective went quiet. And indeed, I would have held a similar view that the agency was quiet, but Hopefully, as the market will start to see our growth rate at the moment, I would think and estimate is greater than any other UK media agency, independent or network. 
and um, we are doing some great work and got some great things to talk about. Okay, another criticism, well perhaps not a criticism, but more feedback was uh, initiative in the UK lives and dies by what you do globally. So obviously you're part of IPG, which is one of the big six holding groups. This year I think you've uh, retained Amazon, won Carlsberg, but do you, as chief exec, do you need to win UK specific business to ensure you are you know, seen as a success in the role? So I think for a successful UK agency, you need a healthy blend of both global sure. and domestic clients, um, and that is indeed our objective. We have just won a local client, but I unfortunately can't <laughs> say the name yet. It's still under okay. embargo, but that's saying that's taking us in a positive direction. We've also played a huge role as a local market in the retention of... Sure significant global clients and also in the Carlsberg and recent Lego win. But yeah, I think um, not so much about me being successful but the agency being successful. Having that healthy blend of both is important for a thriving UK agency. Okay, we'll come back to talk about initiative in more detail. It'd be great to get your take on some of the big issues in advertising and media at the moment, Richard. So last week, Google owned YouTube, said it was hiring thousands of new moderators obviously after facing widespread criticism for allowing child abuse videos and other violent and offensive content to flourish on YouTube. It's also said it's restricting ads only to channels with 10,000 views or more. Obviously, this is in the wake of what happened, I think, in March this year when the Times and the BBC read about the likes of advertisers, Starbucks and Walmart, actually boycotting um, actually their um, brands appearing on the uh, channel after they appeared next to extremist con uh, content. Now, overall, do you think YouTube has handle this well obviously there's an argument can say you can say that it's um, it's empty rhetoric because they tried to fix the problem but then um, you know it, the, the problem seems to resurfaced again I mean it's it's a it's a significant issue for two reasons one if you take YouTube yeah it is an incredible platform for advertising right. its potential is massive and its scale is almost um, almost undefinable. It's extraordinary to look at the scale and the role mm -hmm. YouTube, Google and Facebook play for UK consumers. Sure. So that I think is an important point to make because yeah. I know a lot of the rhetoric around them is around purely their, um, the issues around brand safety. Yeah. With brand safety I could say it is you know, fundamental as a media agency one of the key things we do is provide context yep. for our clients and sure. um, allow, allowing placements to go in, in exactly the right context so when it comes to brand safety yeah it is imperative that we get that right okay so that is what google and facebook or let's take youtube in this example mm -hmm. is dealing with how do you manage that scale and law mm. of large numbers dictate and given it's it's um, a lot of user generated content sure there are, are always going to be issues okay so, so okay no, well, no. I mean, uh, what role? I'm quite interested in what the role the media agency can play in this. What, what, what can they do to, um, you know, stop this ads appearing next to content? Can they restrict this in any way? Obviously, um, you get things like category avoidance and things like that, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I think one of our roles is to make sure that we are in a open and frank dialogue with yep. Google, which we are, and okay. that's both at an agency level, but also the IPA that I represent. We we had a meeting with. Um, Google on this last week. Okay, oh, great, great. It's yeah, and they are, for the record, I think they are taking this extremely seriously. Yeah, and they are fully, fully aware of the impact and the concerns this is having on UK brands and those that advertise in the UK. So, 
I think it is the role of the media agency to hold any media partner mm. to account, but also to ensure that we are overlaying our own brand safety procedures, be that using tech layers like Integral Ad Science or Moat, okay. to help surface where we have brand safety issues on Google, on YouTube, but across the web. Are any of your clients not wanting to currently advertise on YouTube at all? No. Okay, right, okay. Uh, another big issue, I guess a big issue of the year has been uh, fake news. Um, it'd be interesting to know how much your clients are concerned about this. So some brands have understandably been concerned about where sensationalist and untruthful content uh, supported by ad revenues. Obviously in the US election, there was a co coordinated campaign of Facebook to spread mid, uh, on Facebook to spread misinformation during the US, US election. I think Facebook, in response, has said it's creating new products to slow down the spread of fake news and informing users when they encounter an untrustworthy information. Um, it, again, is this enough? And can the media agency play a, play a role in combating the rise of fake news? Yeah, really good question. I think, can they play a role in combating the rise of, rise of fake news? You know, I'm not sure we have... Mm. We do have a moral duty to our clients. Um, do we have a moral duty to um, be there to govern fake news? I'm not sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a bigger question. What I do think is important is going back to context. If we are the guardians of our brand and mm. responsible for the placement of them in um, the right context, then mm. I cannot think of an example where fake news would be the right context. Yeah. So absolutely we have that responsibility to ensure that, that fake news isn't an environment that our brands support, rather implicitly or explicitly. Okay. Um, okay, and just more broadly, again, a long-standing question about you know views on Facebook, whether it should be perceived as a or, or seen as a, a tech company or a media company. And if it is a media company, then uh, it should be liable to you know pay fines and responsibility for the uh, the content on the platform. Yeah, so I, I won't come on on what punitive measures it should be, but I think absolutely, as any media partner. Um, mm. Uh, and any media owner, there is a responsibility for its content, and I'm sure they take that, that responsibility very, very seriously. Okay. Um, the last question on, on Facebook, then moving on. I think last week it announced that it's opening a, a new office in London, 800 new jobs. Um, this has been painted as a, uh, a positive post-Brexit story. So a tech giant investing in the UK. I think Amazon and Google have made similar commitments. Um, do you see that as a good thing? I guess um, I had a conversation with one of your contemporaries at another media agency and asking the same question because Facebook arguably will be competing with you for talent, both graduates and people at a senior level. So on the one hand, I guess it's a, it's a good thing and then there is a negative side to it too, I guess. Yeah, it's a, a really good question. Um, clearly it's good for the economy. Clearly it's good for media per se. Clearly it's good for the proposition that, that Facebook will... will Will present to us and our clients but yeah it does create more demand for the best talent and you know Facebook is a wonderful organization and if you were a graduate I could see why people would be attracted to it to, to work there mm. I think what's incumbent upon myself and my contemporaries at other media agencies mm. is to make clear what a wonderful place a media agency is to work in terms of the difference you can make mm. to clients' businesses, to the strategic impact that you can have, and also the sheer diversity 
of client companies we have the privilege to work with. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and that, 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 that seems fair enough. And just more broadly, again, this shows Facebook's got a commitment to in the UK. Have you had any assurances from IPG, your holding group, that they've got a, a long-term commitment uh, to be in the UK? I think I, I read an interview with Michael Roth before where he said he's... Um, you know, he's been invested in the UK, so there is a commitment there. He's not, he's not pulling out at all. Yeah, no, nothing um, <laughs> I'm aware of. As far as I'm aware, there is a huge and significant investment for IPG in the UK. Okay. Jump, just changing topic, we talked about Michael Roth there. Uh, sexual harassment um, has obviously been a, been a big story across different industries this year. So I started off with... Harvey Weinstein, we had Kevin Spacey, then it was in UK politics. Um, I think there's been a, a few stories about advertising industry, a few revelations, but not sort of um, uh, a lot of re revelations. Are you, well, first of all, um, have you had any experience of sexual harassment or bullying in your, you know, long term in, in media and advertising? And secondly, do you, do you think there is a problem there and do you think it's been sort of swept under the carpet? So... I think I've been lucky enough to work for organisations that have been very forward-thinking in yep. throughout my career, um, and I'm happy to say I haven't witnessed those firsthand or even been subjected to them. I really welcome what's happening in society at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, it's taken some brave individuals to, to to lift the lid on what are sort of abhorrent practices. Yes. And you can only welcome that because you can see that spreading through our industry and the, um, the imperative for people to behave with absolute integrity towards every single individual is paramount and I can only welcome that sweeping through our industry. Because as we've grown as a, sure. as we've grown collectively as a, and become more professional, mm. um, never has there been a greater time to make yeah. sure that we are a place where talent can feel included, not intimidated, and can have flourishing careers in our industry. Mm. Okay, that was a comprehensive answer. Okay, um, again, changing tack slightly. Um, I'm sure you're well aware of this, like everyone in the media industry is. Uh, there's been a glut of UK media agency CEOs exiting recently, I guess for various different reasons. Um, I mentioned before when I interviewed Simon Davis at Blue 449, I asked him this question. And he said, um, I asked him if he was feeling the pressure, and he said he was sort of immune to it because a lot of his clients are domestic, and he was saying the pressure is really coming from those where they're held accountable uh, globally. The, 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 you know, they have a lot more pressure. I mean, is that, do you find that? I mean, obviously, you've got a lot of international clients. Do you f feel as though the pressure is greater than it's ever been before? I think, I think there is a lot of pressure, and particularly on, on CEOs. I would trace that back to, you know, ultimately we've been in recession since 2008. Yeah. There is a lot of media agencies. You could yeah. argue there is an oversupply of media agencies and a lack of difference. And in any market force where there is a, where there's too much supply, you're going to have um, economic forces and economic pressures. Mm. I think those are both local and global. And, you know, you've got to be able to build a proposition that's going to attract clients and attract growth. 
And if that isn't forthcoming and it's difficult mm. in recessions when you know the lifeblood of advertising businesses traditionally were consumer packaged goods and there's a lot of pressure on margins there and that quite rightly is going to follow through to agencies. So if you haven't got a differential proposition mm. that isn't attractive to businesses in growth, which are mm. fundamentally digital economy businesses, then there is going to be a challenge. And I'd say, you know, I know... I think four out of five of those high-profile departures in terms of the CEOs, and I know all of their reasons are very different yeah. for why they left. I think there perhaps is a convenient narrative to say that they've, they've all gone um, for similar reasons. I, I don't think that is the case. Mm. Um, but it does underline the, the pressures that you know, leadership roles in agencies have. So going back to your early point then, you think there's an oversupply, you think there's too many media agencies not differentiating themselves in the UK at the moment. And what will that mean then? Will we see uh, further mergers or closures of media agencies going forward? Or Well, I think I think there will be pressure and you know, this is an outsider's observation, but MEC Wavemaker was, was a whole scale global yeah. reaction to perhaps to that, to provide a different proposition. And I understand they have got an interesting content-led proposition which they're taking to market. But you know, what is imperative for the rest of us is to provide something that attracts it. You haven't got enough market growth, mm. I don't believe, in, recessive, in a recessive environment mm. to sustain the current volume. Right, okay. Um, okay. Uh, we'll go on to talk about initiative because I know you're dying to talk about that. It'd be good to get what's on your agenda, what you've been doing. Just before we do that, just more broadly looking at the future of media agencies, um, famous quote from Mark Pritchard, marketing boss of Procter & Gamble, I think it was the end of last year, said, we serve ads to consumers through a non-transparent media supply chain with spotty compliance to common standards, unreliable measurement, hidden rebates, a new invention like bots and methbot fraud. Um, so is the media supply chain still non-transparent are clients still asking still got questions about the transparency or has this whole issue been resolved so it hasn't been resolved i would say and again this is an observation from the uk market mm -hmm. i would say most of those agency transparency concerns have mm. been addressed yeah i think the broader piece is is the pace of growth and change of digital media means that that supply chain is complex. Mm. A, it's not understood particularly well by everyone, and B, there are people that have taken commercial advantage from them, and those clearly that that needs to be um, eradicated and changed. You know, at IPG, I'm very proud that we've got a, a history of transparency, and that that's that's put us in a in a strong position now. But I think generally. You know, you look at the supply chain in digital mm. and you can see that there are a lot of players in there. And that needs A, far better understanding and B, rationalisation. And I hope what Mark Pritchard's speech has done mm. is accelerate that, that pace of change towards pure transparency. So you do think that we'll get to a point when there is pure transparency. When will that be? Will that be in five years if we're heading in the right direction? Or? I don't know, because I think, you know, there are some very clever tech businesses looking to take advantage mm. of of markets that, that aren't um, where the regulation hasn't hasn't kept up with the pace of change. So I don't think you know I think we will get 
far closer to that point, but whether we will get there in its entirety and add um, and in perpetuity, I think that's going to take a while. Okay, and the other big issue is obviously ad fraud. World Federation of Advertisers uh, members include McDonald's, Visa, one ad online ad fraud was endemic. Uh, trade body estimates are between 10 and 30% of online advertising slots are never seen by consumers because of fraud. Obviously, the most pernicious and common variety of ad fraud involves uh, bots. Um, I mean, is the what is the industry doing to co- combat bots and ad fraud? And again, is it making the headway? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's the responsibility of the client business and its agency partners to ensure mm. that you have the right level of audit, you have the right um, tech layers to identify ad frauds, and then that gives evidence when, when dealing with vendors and publishers mm. to take that out of the mix and, to, and to, to reduce it as much as possibly can. You know, I would hope that most scaled advertisers and most agencies are advising their clients to use companies such as Moat and mm-hmm. Integral Ad Science to provide that auditing layer just to expose the ad fraud and and to, to eradicate it. And are they using players like Moat? Are they using them enough? Are they, is there an awareness there? Yeah, I, I hope they are. And I say, I'm not going to endorse those particular no. two, but those are the two okay. we, we've used to, to good effect. And, um, uh, yeah, as you say, there is, when when large-scaled advertisers like McDonald's and P&G look mm. into the market and they're concerned of what they're getting, they are leading the way as much as the agency groups in terms of, of designing best practice, and those best practices include the use of those technologies. Okay, right, let's talk about initiative then. Um, so you've been in the job just a few months now. Can you just talk about what was in your... What was in your inbox? What have you been doing in these few months and what your ambitions are for for next year? I think it's a good starting point. Yeah, so um, there was quite a lot in my inbox. It was a, a lengthy notice period. So by the time I arrived in September, like with uh, all these circumstances, there, there was there was a lot to do. I think it's been a... Um, it's been a fantastic time for me. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed coming into this organisation. I really enjoy the culture, both at a global level and at a local level. Um, there were things that have surprised me with with how how strong it is, and there are certain things that have um, consolidated some of the perceptions I had where we needed to change. But one thing I've been really encouraged by is um, a willingness to embrace change across the agency mm. and across IPG media brands. So, what can you just talk about consolidated those perceptions? Can, what, what were those perceptions? Then? Yeah, so I think you know, as we talked about at the start, you didn't really hear much about initiative. You mm. know, the fact that they have in Amazon the brand, the company that was going to have one of the greatest influences. Sure. on future commercial models and mm. commerce and the future of brands, you know, the things that Amazon are doing, for instance, in, in the voice space and what that means for how a brand designs itself. You know, there's some incredible work that, that goes on here, not just there, but again, with, with partners like Tech Philippe, for instance, and more latterly with Carlsberg and Lego. But it's not an agency that's been talking about its success in that sense with a bit of a best kept secret. So you're hoping to change that then next year then, I guess? Absolutely. Hence this, this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what business have you... You mentioned one client you've won then who you cannot talk about. I mean, is there a... Do you have a set goal of how many clients you want to 
want to win uh, next year? Or, I mean, what have you won so far? So, yeah, so I think our growth has been pretty spectacular, actually. If we look at our organic growth mm. and our client growth, so we've just welcomed Lego and Carlsberg to the agency, we are probably growing somewhere in the region of about 30 to 40%, which if we look at market growth of about 4%, I think that is a pretty spectacular start. So it's incumbent upon me to make sure that people understand why that's happening. So what I've done in terms of the agency is, is to look at our structure and look at the importance of our product. Mm. So one thing that we are working hand in hand with our global colleagues in New York is, is around our brand positioning and the proposition mm. we take to clients. So that is around our brand promise, which is how, how we help our clients' brands take the initiative in culture, mm. how we provide a superior insight into culture so to understand how their brands can, can behave in that culture sure. and give them competitive advantage. So all of the people, the talent I'm getting into the organisation, all the tools and research projects that we're undertaking is with that aim in mind. And that is what is appealing um, in the marketplace to our very valued existing clients and to those new clients that we've welcomed to the agency in the last three months. So you, you're actually recruiting people at the moment, are you? Or what, what, Can you just... Broadly speaking, what's staff numbers? What's the staff levels at the moment? And is, is it aimed to grow? Presumably, it's not the level it was when you had Tesco. No, I think we will be up to Tesco levels <laughs> in, in by the end of this year. So, oh, really? in okay. terms of staff, yeah. So we are. What's that? Like two hundred? Is that? Uh, yeah, if we include okay. if we include um, the specialist business units that we work with, it would be around that number. So. And we've hired some, so I've hired a new chief client officer, a chap called James Shawland, who's come from Blue 449. Okay. Um, we've also welcoming a new chief strategy officer mm. who is joining on the 3rd of January. So he was ex-Mindshare, a gentleman called Jed Hallam. We have uh, a lady called Charlotte Eagland who is joining as our head of consumer insight and analytics. And all of these roles are designed to really turbocharge our proposition and product that we take to our clients. Okay. One thing which I didn't ask you, which I should have done, Richard, is so your chief executive, obviously your predecessor, I don't know if it was your predecessor, so Sally Weavers, she was managing director. What's the thinking behind that? Was that your demand for a, a chief exec for all? Or what, why were you not taking on as manager? What was the thinking? Why, why were you not a sort of direct replacement then for it? So, I don't know the answer to that question, John, if I'm honest. I, I didn't, um, I worked with Sally many years ago okay. at Dentsu Aegis and um, she's got a fantastic reputation. So um, I can't comment why my role was different. I think my mandate hmm. was to reinvent and reinvigorate the agency so perhaps my job title came with that mandate okay uh, we're going to finish up last question nice softball question um what's a typical working day for you then what time do you time time do you get up and what time do you get into the office what is, is there a typical day for a, a chief executive of a media agency in the uk maybe not um yeah i think so my my typical day would I've got two typical days. One when I get up at like 5.45 and go for a swim. Ooh. And those that I get up a bit later and don't go for a swim. So if we take that as a, as a base point, recently it's been not swim. So it will be get into the office early, um, work with my leadership team, 
make sure that we're across every single client challenge and brief, mm. make sure we're recruiting as many people as possible. Sure. These wins have, have demanded growth and recruitment has been a big focus, but also making sure that we are doing the right service to our client, our, our talent portfolio here as well. So we, we talk to the agency as a group at least twice a week. So okay. it's clients getting the product yeah. and recruiting to make sure we're in the best possible position for 2018 as possible. And finally, any Christmas parties you're going to? Is there a big uh, initiative Christmas party? Maybe I'll get an invite. There is. Um, it's going to be in Waterloo under the arches okay. this Thursday. So I'll okay. put your name on the door, John. Right. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Richard. And do tune in next week when we've got another fantastic podcast. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.